This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. John chapter 1, we're going to read down to verse 18. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and life was uh, brought. And life was brought light to everyone. And light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one who I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. For his abundance, we have all received his gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's pray, and then you can be seated. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word. I ask that you open our minds this morning, open our hearts this morning to let it become clear to us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, everything said would honor you, and we would go out of here stronger than when we came in the door. In Jesus' name. And you all say amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan, for the reading of the word. Um, we're going to do something a little different. And by different, I mean it's not my norm on a Sunday morning. Um, I, I, on a Sunday mornings, I try to be very thoughtful with everybody that comes because we have such a wide variety of people from all levels of faith to kind of new with God to been around a long time with God and so I try to be very thoughtful to all of that but today's message is going to go deep so if you're brand new with God I, I pray it stretches your brain and I pray it makes you think outside the box if you've been around a long time with God I pray that it challenges you uh, either way I hope by the end of it you dig deeper I hope it causes you to think more about what's going on and if you're with us, I think this is about week six, 
that we're in a study on the fruit that God expects out of our life. We started out in John 15 with it. And uh, this is what it says, that I am the grapevine and my father is the gardener. And so we started out with that God wants fruit out of us. And so what I'm going to do is try to recapitulate six weeks in about three minutes. So all of the videos are there, thanks to Ryan and his team. They edit it all for us. So they're there for you to study it deeper. But uh, so what, what we're about to do is just run through. Hang on, Derek, before we go. We're, we're just going to run through all of them real quickly and uh, make the comments as we go. We're going to land on a certain spot, and at that certain spot, we're going to dig it deeper. Where we landed on, and I'll tell you why we're doing it that way today, is uh, last week at lunch, I always ask my daughters during the week, hey, what'd you learn? Making sure that at least what I say is, is thoughtful. And so they always give back good critiques and, you know, things that help me be, be better at what I do. And they said, well, we really love that you talked about the seven days of creation in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Anybody else like that? Yeah. All right. So... They said, but, but we sure do wish you would have stopped and taken each day one week at a time where we could have really dug it out. And so I thought, well, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. So uh, I thought what we would do is go back and recapitulate all seven days, but doing it one day at a time each week. So for the next seven weeks, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be studying Genesis chapter 1 and the creation as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Let's go through these real quick. Uh, we started out with the fruit God expects, and then we came to this. It's different than what we expect because Jesus said we say we're rich and have everything we want. Jesus sees fruit differently. God's first words to humans were, be fruitful and multiply. So God has a high expectations for the fruit that we multiply. Fruitful to God... We saw this in Genesis 1.28. Fruitful to God means to govern and reign. He said this in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. So that was his first phrase to humans. But then he said, govern it and reign it. So we came to this thought, fruitful to God means to govern and reign. Fruitfulness, this was a main thought in one of our messages a few weeks back. Fruitfulness is connected to God's government. Fruitfulness is not, did you read your Bible? Do you tithe? Do you go to church? Are you on a team? Are you a good person? Did you quit drinking? Don't you smoke? Don't get tattoos? Don't wear makeup? That's our fruitfulness. God's fruitfulness says, it's not about that. It's about my government. Am I in charge of your life? If I'm in charge of your life, the rest of it works out. This is what we landed on. What was God's government? God's government is His wisdom and command. You cannot get away from the government of God by separating wisdom and command. So when we say the government of God, what we mean is God gives you His wisdom and His command, and that, in a strange way, if you've ever thought this through, God's first command was connected to fruit. You ever wonder why He picked a fruit tree? Because God wants you to know the way your life is fruitful is to listen to my wisdom and command. So I'm going to connect my command to a fruit tree. Because God's really wanting us to get that fruitfulness in your life is to hold to my wisdom and to hold to my command. And we saw from that, this was another main message that we had. The fruit God expects is obedience to his wisdom and command. How many of you like that? I hate that word, right? I don't like the word obedience. I want the word giddiness. It's my, it's my giddiness that God expects. God wants my hair to stand up. God wants me to go, oh, wasn't that so anointed? God wants me to uh, shake and act like the Holy Ghost. God said, glad y'all like that. That's your fruit. My fruit is obey. 
And this is a great thought. Everybody just read it out loud with me together. One, two, three. We can't obey. If you feel like you can obey, let's have a conversation. I can't even obey. I would love to obey. I've tried to obey. I blow it every time. Here's what we landed on. This was a full message. God gave us one command, don't eat the fruit. We broke it. So God thought, well, if they could break one, maybe they could do more. And we told God we could do more. So God gave us ten, and we said we can do all of them. We broke those. Then, to prove to God how loyal we were as his subjects, we made up in the Old Testament over 670 more commands, and we broke the ones we made. <laughs> Jesus showed up, narrowed it down to two. And, and Derek, leave that there a minute. We can't do that either. So everybody that's a Christian, just stare at this plan. You can't keep one. You can't keep ten. And when you make up your own, you break those. And Jesus narrowed it down to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself. You can't even do that. And if you think you can, you're deceived. Because if you break one, you're guilty of all. That's the way the Bible works. God doesn't hold us accountable for one. God, God's not looking for percentages. Well, you keep 10%, but not the other 90. You're good. You'll get in. If you keep 90, you can come to heaven, break 10. Nine. No. God's either you're guilty or you're not. And if you break one, you break them all. We landed on this. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> let's say it together. <laughs> Ready? One, two, three. We are hopelessly dead. <laughs> That's freeing. Because when you say that, it, it brings you to the thought of there's nothing you can do. And if you think you can, then what you are is a Pharisee, and Jesus rebukes those people. As a matter of fact, the only people he fought with, Cameron, were Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious people that didn't know they were hopelessly dead. Let's figure out, is there hope? Well, Ephesians 2.12, in those days... You were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from Him. And then the last phrase, and you were without God and without hope. Don't you love that? But look at the next one, Ephesians 2.13. But now, everybody say, but now. <laughs> you've been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood. That's dirty, right? Blood, we don't like that. It's politically incorrect to talk about the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the answer for hopelessly dead people who can't obey. Everybody, one, two, three. Christ Jesus. That's where we landed on. That was a whole message several weeks back. Let's keep rolling. But here's the weird thing. Jesus still expects the fruit of our obedience. These are the words of Jesus and they hurt. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. I don't like that. I thought I loved him because my playlist was all Bethel music. <laughs> I thought I loved him because I gave money in the offering. I thought I loved him because I went to church. He says, no, you, you have to accept and obey. All right, let's keep rolling. We landed on it's impossible to obey through human effort. Galatians 3.3, Galatians 3, your human effort is foolish. So we came to this thought. The Holy Spirit, everybody say it. One, two, three. Holy Spirit. All right, so I'm going to kind of hash it all out. We can obey. We are hopelessly dead. Christ Jesus, Holy Spirit. Everybody there with me? That's where we're headed. All right, this is what we landed on. The Holy Spirit is the one that produces fruit, green letters at the bottom. You, it has to happen in every part of your life. 
The Holy Spirit wants to be involved in every part of your life, but he says two words that are weird. You have to live by the Spirit and you have to follow the Spirit. We landed on this thought. How do I follow someone if I can't see them? How do you follow a ghost? How do you follow a spirit? I can follow Ryan. I can see Ryan. But how do I follow something I can't see? Now we're getting closer to today's message, and here we go. Romans 1, for ever since the, war, ever since the world was created... The people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities. They have no excuse. So what we landed on last week was, through the creation account, that's the Genesis account of chapter 1, we can know the invisible qualities of God. We can know the nature and character of the Holy Spirit through the days of creation. So, here's what we're doing. Now I've called everybody up. Everybody feel like you're caught up? <laughs> All right, try to do that quickly. But I think it helps, right? Following the Spirit. Though this is kind of a where we're headed over the next seven weeks. Following the Spirit through the seven days of creation. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, if you will. <clears throat> go ahead and pull that up, Derek, the next slide. It probably froze, right? Yep. So hang on, we're going to just hold here because what i got to say is really important and I'm good to wait. There we go. Day one, the nature of the Holy Spirit. Now here's where we're going to go. We're going to open up day one of creation and we're going to dig this thing out so deep that the end slide you will see will show you the work of the Holy Spirit in day one of creation. If you remember day one of creation, let there be light, there was light. That's a pretty simple day, right? Well, in a casual reading, it's very simple. But it's not going to be simple because I want to take you on a journey to show you the primary thing that is step one for you to learn how to follow the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here's what we know by that. According to Romans 1.20, the moment he created the heavens and earth, he's telling me you can know me. You can know my invisible qualities. You can know my power. Verse 2, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Years ago, I, I'm a Genesis dude. Like if you ask me, I'm Genesis up, down, left, right, side, and the other. I love it. I spend my life there. My parents laugh at me that I always go there. And most of my messages start there. Because I believe in, in the book of Genesis is the beginning of everything. Well, years ago when I read this, I was not a Genesis guy at the time. I got stuck with this verse, like I got two verses into the Bible and got stuck, and my brain just started, you know, going, going haywire. Because something didn't make sense to me, and the thing that didn't make sense to me was the word waters. Because in verse 2, there's water, but creation doesn't start until verse 3. So I was like, well, where did the water come from? If what we teach is day one of creation is Genesis 3, let there be light. Then, and so I started reading through all seven days of creation, and I never saw, and God created water. 
What I saw was, and God called the land up out of the water, which made me think in my study, water must have already been here. Then that led me down a rabbit hole. Well, why was water here? Where did water come from? And God obviously created the water, but why is there water in verse 2 if we don't start creation until verse 3? That would tell me that maybe God created something before verse 3, which was light. And So there goes my brain. Because I'm looking for water to be created in days one through seven, and it shows up in day two. And then I got really stuck because it said the earth was formless and empty, and I started connecting all over the Bible. Well, it couldn't be formless and empty because God doesn't make things that way. And then darkness covered, but God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. So how could a God that created it, this light, create anything that could be formless and void? Because it's impossible for Him to create that way. And if he's lighted in him, there's no darkness at all. Then how could anything come out of his creation that could be dark if he's light? And so then my brain is like firing on all cylinders and I'm just blown away. Because I go on this long, and when I say long, it's been about the last 15 years. I've gone on this long study of the book of Genesis and, and the creation versus evolution and what's going on and how do we draw it all together and where does science fit in and all of that stuff, that's my personal life, right? I probably won't dump all that on you, but, but that's what I've enjoyed. And then I saw something that was interesting. I noticed in verse 2 that amidst this formless, empty, dark void over the water, the Holy Spirit was there. And it led me on a journey with the Holy Spirit over the last 20 to 30 years of trying to understand the Holy Spirit. So... I want to, <laughs> I'm trying my best to do this in a way, I'm just going to run you through the slides, but I put the slides together to hopefully make sense of what went on in my brain over the last 20 years. So what I'm going to download to you in about 30 minutes is 20 years worth of study. And I hope it pushes you to go study because it's critical for your life what I share today to, to come into a knowledge of this Holy Spirit that we teach kind of show, you know, came on the scene in Acts 2. Oh, the Holy Spirit. He came on the scene in Genesis 1-2. He's been here the whole time. And I love, I won't get it here today. It's another teaching. But I love the fact that he's hovering. Meaning he's not doing anything because he's waiting on something. He cannot move until God speaks. The Holy Spirit never moves because you're emotional. He moves to honor the word of God. He doesn't move to make you giddy. He doesn't move to slay you in the spirit because you heard a really cool song. He moves to honor the word of God. And when the word of God comes forth, the Holy Spirit meets it and brings life to it. All right, so that's just a side thought. You're welcome, I guess. So let's, let's dive into it and let's try to uh, look at it prophetically. Now what I mean by prophetic is this. So if this is new to you, this may help. This is my definition, not the only one, but the one I'm landing on for this moment. Prophetic means that there's something God will download to me that will speak directly to the moment at hand, typically borrowing from the past to prophetically state something that will happen in the future. So it's, it's Jesus who was, who is, and who is to come and it's the spirit of prophecy who was, who is, and is to come. So typical biblical prophecy will have a was, and is, and an is to come. That's book of Revelation, Wednesday night, come, you, you might learn something there. 
So prophecy will typically look toward the past and pick something, speak toward something immediately in the present to predict future. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take prophecy and look at verses 1 and 2 because prophetically there are places in the Old Testament where prophets stand and look back toward the beginning of time to teach a message in the moment to give a prophetic destiny for the future. All right, and there, there are several prophets we're going to pick out, but that's kind of the thought. So let me give you modern day. Modern day prophet would be, I'm going, to, I'm going to really come against mainstream media, the propaganda of mainstream media. There's my moment. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and connect that moment to the to the uh, Third Reich of Hitler and his propaganda. I'm going to take that, connect it to here to say there will be judgment in the future. So that's kind of prophecy. It takes a past, connects and speaks to the future. So let's do it. Let's jump into some prophets. Here's Isaiah. This is what he says, which is interesting because it's the same words that are in Genesis 1-2 in the Hebrew, if you're a Hebrew scholar, and I highlighted them in pink. This is Isaiah. For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens, he's God, who formed the earth and made it. And how did he make it? To be established. Look at this prophetic thing. He did not create it empty. But Genesis 1-2 says it's empty. But Isaiah says, no, he didn't create it that way. So it made me start thinking, well, if God doesn't create it to be empty, and it is empty, did something happen? Did something go on that took this God of light, this God that creates it to be inhabited, this God that creates it to be formed, and now it's formless, it's dark, and it's empty, but God's not dark. And then Isaiah gives me this prophecy. So that was my first starting point years ago. That there is a prophetic word that God did not create it that way. One version, actually, I won't get into it, but one version actually says he can't create it this way. He cannot create things empty. Next one. This is Jeremiah the prophet. I highlighted the words just to kind of make it stick out, but it's the same prophetic look. So Jeremiah, I believe, my study lends me to believe that Jeremiah is speaking back to the beginning of time. Now, here's something strange to look at. He says, I beheld the earth. Now, to behold the earth, that would be Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I'm good with that. I was good. I stopped there and go, I'm good with that. He said, and indeed, it was without form and void. I'm like, okay, well, he's in Genesis 1-2 now. So obviously, God, in some weird way has translated this prophet through the Spirit, which is strange, I know, but God can do it. He's eternal. And he allowed Jeremiah to see the beginning of time. This is what he said. He said, and the heavens had no light. Well, this really, really threw me for a loop because if the heavens had no light, then we're not in Genesis 3 yet. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. So obviously he's looking at something, but he's not in day three yet. He's, I mean, he's not in verse three yet. And God said, let there be light. And then I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled. The mountains come in creation day two. He called the water up from the land, and the land came up and there was water. So just let me read it this way. I beheld the earth, Genesis 1-1, without form and void. 
Genesis 1-2, it's empty, dark, all that. The heavens had no light, so there's day one gone. I beheld the mountains, there's day two gone. So he has to be talking about something other than the seven literal days we know. Because the seven literal days we know, there was light in day one, mountains and, and water in day two. Then, this just rocks your world, I saw it when there was no man there. Now what this tells me is he can't be talking about something future. Because there's never been a time in the history of earth, at least biblical history creation, that the earth has never not had a man. If the earth is made and he sees the earth finished, which is I beheld the earth, but there's no man, the only time that the earth had no man was before the creation of Adam. So obviously he's looking at this thing and saying there's not even a man on the planet. So we're not talking about future annihilation with zombies. He's looking back into time and he says there was no man. Now it gets weird. He says, and all the birds of heaven have fled. Okay, this is crazy. You can't have birds if you don't get into creation day five. Because birds come in day five. So now it's just so weird because he's like, I see the earth, but there's no day one because there's no light. But there is a day two because the mountains are there. But there's no day six because there's no man there. But there is a day five because the birds are there. Like he's either smoking weed or he's seeing something different than the seven days we call creation. He's seeing something because he says, Now I beheld and indeed the fruitful land was like a wilderness. So in other words, prophetically somehow, he's looking back to this formless, void, empty, no light, no man, no birds, nothing, but he makes the connection that it used to be fruitful, but now it's totally destroyed. Is everybody trekking? And all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord. So that's Jeremiah. I believe, Mark Evans' belief. I believe this. Put the next slide. This is my belief. If you want to leave the church, please come. Let's do Mexican first so we can enjoy some community. <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm a weird man. I'm trying to download 30 years of study in about 20 minutes. This is what I do believe, though. Before there were seven days of creation as we know them to be. That's day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There was a fruitful world created by God in the beginning that was inhabited and governed by Lucifer for the purpose of obedient, fruitful worship. This is my belief. In the beginning, verse 1 of Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to show you prophetically that this is not just something I'm making up. We're about to go deep down the rabbit hole. But we all believe that Lucifer used to be a good boy. And he got booted out of heaven. And we've always wondered, why is he so ticked at us anyway? And why does he want the earth back? Well, my belief is God created the heavens and earth in Genesis 1-1. Could have been billions of years back. We don't know. And he put his angel, Lucifer, there to govern all of creation. And Lucifer would go up and down from earth to heaven, from earth to heaven. We know that's possible because Job 1 says he would often appear with the angels in heaven and they would go, what are you doing here? 
because that was his duty, to leave earth, to appear to heaven, to report to God of the worship he had been put over on the earth, to bring God the worship of the earth. We know that's true because Jesus says, if a human doesn't praise me, the rocks will, and if you don't praise me, the trees will cry out and the mountains will cry out. So what I believe is Lucifer governed a world of fruitfulness. Not with humans like me and you. We're made in the image of God. But I do believe he governed animals. He governed a a, a people that may not be a people like us in the image of God. But he did govern in such a way that he was put in charge of this thing. And the beautiful thing of that is I believe in that land of that time. Come on, you guys think Narnia with me. Help me a minute. You, You believe Narnia, so why can't you believe this, right? I mean, this is a little more believable to me than Narnia. But in that land before Genesis 1-3, in that land before God established it for you and I to be His his creatures who are the only people in His image, I believe Lucifer was governing to bring worship to God. And he blows it royally. And what God has done, because you need to be a student of the Word, is God said, well, in the beginning I created the heaven and the earth, and then thus and therefore Lucifer governed it, and then thus and therefore Lucifer sinned, and thus and therefore I judged him, and then thus and therefore, welcome to Genesis 1-2, you see the result of his disobedience. But what I'm going to do is take the original creation that I have, and I'm going to call it up. And what you begin to see is God begins to call and split the water that was, ju- that was his judgment. The beauty of this is, we won't go there today, but the water that God used to Noah to judge his day, God used water to judge Lucifer. I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Let's look at the prophetic look at Lucifer. Again, here's prophecy. I'm going to take something of the past, connect it to something of the present to predict something of the future. But in what we're about to do now is we're going to look at this angel whose name was Lucifer who was a governing angel. He was one of the big three. That's why he took a third of the angels with him when he sinned. There was Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. They each had a third ruling of the angels. That's why in the book of Revelation, you'll see a third of the earth's population, a third of the world is judged, because I believe that's kind of symbolic of how much control and government Lucifer had. So let's look at Lucifer from some scripture. Now here's the prophet Ezekiel. That's that book nobody ever reads. It's <laughs> just way too hard. A wheel within a wheel, baby. Can't do it. Sorry. Check out. Go to another book. He's going to pick on a guy named the king of Tyre who's a literal historical figure. But he's going to talk to the king of Tyre in the moment to talk about his future. But he's going to lean back to the past to pick a point. So here's what he prophesies. Son of man... Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now he's talking to the king of Tyre, but he's going to do it through a past event. Here's what he says to the king of Tyre. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now here's a thought. Does any woman here know a man that way? Come on, ladies. That was a chance to go, no. I know. Go back, Derek. You, you jumped ahead. There's no man on the planet that is the seal of perfection. I know we think we are. I'm all up here strutting on the stage. I'm not the seal of perfection. Any woman ever met a man full of wisdom? No. That's why he needed you. 
Perfect in beauty. Yes, Ross Poldark. Hallelujah. So this could be a prophecy to a real man, although I've never met one that's a seal of perfection. Some of them look like it if they're photoshopped. Full of wisdom. Well, some of them are really smart, but I don't know about that. And I have seen some perfect dudes. So we could draw a conclusion. This might be a human he's talking about. Let's keep reading. Oh, man, this stings. You were in Eden. This is a continuation. The garden of God. So now, could this be the king of Tyre? Yes or no? Impossible. There's only two people in Eden before they were kicked out. Two humans, Adam and Eve. But this prophecy says you were there. So obviously there, there had to be a third being that was in the Garden of Eden. Anybody want to guess who the third being could have been? Satan. I told you we're going to dig it deep. You were in the Garden, the Eden... Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. Hold this thought. Yeah, I got a, I got a minute to do it. These nine emeralds, the emeralds, these nine stones that are the covering of what, whoever we're talking about had a covering of jewels. There's nine of them. You want to know what's so strange? The nine jewels in the covering of this person are the same jewels that are in the breast of the high priest. But in the breast of the high priest, there's three more jewels than the nine mentioned. They're the same nine, but the, the high priest gets three more. You want me to tell you why Lucifer is so ticked? It's not because you're blessed and drive a Mercedes. He's ticked because he was a created being that got nine stones, but he would appear before the throne and see the high priest Jesus with 12, and he wanted the three stones Jesus had because if you have all 12, you become the priest. That's why there's three temptations. Every temptation was to remove a stone out of the high priestly garment of Jesus so he could never be the high priest to represent you before God because Lucifer was the one that wanted to represent the earth before God. That's a side thought. You're welcome. Sorry. <laughs> you were in Eden, the garden of God, so I'm going to go ahead and assume that Ty this is not the king of Tyre. It has to be somebody else. Let's keep reading. Okay, now we get a little clear. You were the anointed cherub who covers. So now the prophecy becomes clear. He's talking about an angel that lived in the garden that was the seal of perfection, that was the seal of full wisdom and perfect in beauty, and he was placed in the garden of God. And this is what he said. You also were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. In other words, this is an angel who had permission on the earth to go back and forth to the throne room of heaven and come back down to earth, and he governed the earth from the Garden of Eden, which is mind-blowing. This is why the moment Jesus, God puts Adam and Eve into a garden called Eden and we're like, oh, he made a garden. No, it was the recreation of the garden that this guy ruled and that's why the moment he put a man and, and a woman in there and placed them in Eden and planted a garden, the devil's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's my garden. I ruled this place and I'm not about to let these humans in the image of God take what I was given and he comes in in the form of a serpent and he takes his garden back. See, this isn't about a piece of fruit. 
This is about a ticked off angel that cannot stand the fact that a human being is governing the planet he was supposed to govern. It's never been about your tithe and your offering and your Bible reading. This is about who you are in Christ and he cannot stand that in you. And so he says, you walk back and forth, you were perfect. And here's what happened to the Lucifer. Until iniquity was found in you. In other words, I created you perfectly beautiful. Let me walk you through it. And I planted you in a garden. And I covered you with the most precious jewels. You were next in line. This is me, from what I've studied. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Lucifer. He ruled and reigned. If there was anybody above Lucifer, he could not have taken a third of the angels away because God works in realms of authority. That means Lucifer was above Michael and Gabriel. That's why when when Michael tries to fight for the body of Moses and he's fighting with the angel, that's why the Bible says Michael would not dare say a word against Lucifer. He's not even going to speak against him. Why? Because in the creation, Lucifer was above Michael. And even though Lucifer sinned, Michael's like, no, dude, I'm never touching that. I'll leave that for God to rebuke him. Iniquity was found in this angel. This angel fell. Let's read on. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst. Listen, I know there's a lot of protesting going on, but the moment you see violence connected with protesting, it is the kingdom of Satan on display in this planet. For the moment Satan got booted out of heaven, he became an angel filled with violence. Don't you ever believe the lie that I can protest with violence in the name of God. The moment there's violence, you are in the camp of Lucifer himself and you are doing his work. I don't care if you protest, just don't let there be violence. Because that is the work of a demonic angel named Lucifer. And it says, and you sin. I love love God, just like matter of fact. So I just cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you. O guardian cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. This sounds like we're in Narnia, doesn't it? Look at what he calls him. O guardian cherub. Do you know what that means? It means an angel who covers. His, watch, just so you understand. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Meaning God never changes his mind. So God makes an angel to cover and to cover the earth he created. So God says, I, in the beginning I created heaven and earth. I made it eat. I put, I put an Eden there. I put an angel in it to govern all my creation, to bring me worship. He was to cover the planet and guard the planet because he is an anointed angel who covers. And then Lucifer says, not nah, going to do it my way, baby. God says, boot, out of heaven you go. But he still calls him a guarding, covering cherub. Meaning God never took his gift away from him. He still has the right to cover. This is why the Bible says he blinds the minds of people because he still has the power to cover. This is why truth can be so clear but you can't see it because he still has the power to cover. He's been given that power. This is why most of the world will follow him into deception even against truth because he has the ability to cover truth so you can't even understand truth, Ryan, and you've been blinded by the God of the world. So when it says, O guardian cherub who covers, go back to Genesis 1-2 and think this through a minute. And I looked and behold, darkness did what to the earth? Covered it. It's why he's called the prince of darkness. 
The moment he sins, he becomes dark. He's the opposite of light. So when you see the word darkness, don't just think that which is absent of light. Flip the switch. The moment you see the word darkness, you need to see an angel who covers the truth of God so mankind cannot know the life of God. We're not talking about dark as in flip a light on. We're talking about dark as in an angel who is the exact opposite of God, who will show up in the New Testament as the Antichrist, who is the exact opposite of everything Jesus So when he's booted out of heaven, let's read on. Your heart was proud. Now we start seeing the problem. Your beauty corrupted your own wisdom. Sure does sound like what we've been talking about. You started trusting yourself, Lucifer. You trusted your wisdom. Maybe that's really what this was about with Eve. I want to look at Eve's proud heart who just wants to be like God, which is what I wanted. And I want her to trust her own wisdom, which is the fruit looks really good even though Jesus told you to stay away from it. So in the temptation of Eve, this is playing out because this is exactly what happened to Lucifer. And he said, corrupted for the sake of your splinter, I cast you to the ground. Wait a minute. How could, watch. How could God cast me to the ground if there was no ground? He would just have to cast me to outer space if nothing had been created yet. But to have the ability to cast me to the ground and expose me before kings, there has to be a world to cast him down to and that exposure before kings were the kings that ruled here with him that he was over. And again, I'm not saying there are people like me and you. I don't, I'm just going to call them beings. But they're not us because we're in the image of God. And here, here's a neat thought. The, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, Lucifer gets cursed to crawl on, the serpent gets cursed to crawl on his, back, his belly and eat the dust of the ground. Why? Because that was the one controlling him was his fate. So know this, whoever trusts the devil and does his bidding and works his kingdom will always end up in a place of corruption and crawling on the ground with nothing. It's the only fruit you can produce. So just know God expects a fruit, so does the devil. He wants you to trust your wisdom, trust your heart, and the end result is I'm going to expose you and bring you to the ground as a broken vessel so I can take you up before God and accuse you before Him that He's really not all He says He is. Let's go on. Here's the prophet Isaiah. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you're cut to the ground, that's uh, Luke 10, 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You've weakened the nations, for you said in your heart, now here they come, the five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. Well, how could he ascend into heaven if there was no heaven? I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, proving he's a ruling angel. He has a throne. Where would his throne be? Not in heaven. What we see in, in Revelation, there's only one throne in heaven. It's the throne of the Father. But because God's a good Father, He gives Him a throne. He gives a ruling angel a throne. And Lucifer kind of shows us prophetically kind of where the throne would be because he says, well, my throne is below the stars because I'm going to exalt it above the stars of God. So now we know that there was a time where Lucifer was sitting on a throne and there were stars over his head. 
And what I read is the stars don't come until day four. So I think he's living in a world before. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. The mount of the congregation was the place where the Father God would commune with his people. And he said, I'm going to be the one to sit there. Just if you really want to know, meaning the mount of the congregation was the place where the presence of God would come and meet with his people. And he said, I'm going to sit on that mountain, not God. And if you really want to know how weird God is, on the farther sides of the north. The north was where God met with his people. It's where the presence of the Lord congregated. That means every time you pull out your little GPS and that little red arrow goes, boom, and where does it point? You think it does that by accident? You think it's pointing north because some scientist said that we're spinning so fast there's a magnetic pole that pulls us to the north? Scientifically, that may be true. But the mount of the congregation sits on the north and God gave us a scientific way that if you're ever lost, look to the north because that is where I sit. That is where I commune. That is where my presence is. So every time you're driving with your little GPS and that red arrow is going north, north, you need to know that God himself is shouting from eternity past. I put a way that would always let you know where true north was because that is where my presence sits. I don't know what that had to do with anything, but it felt good. <laughs> then he says this, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now we know he's just not somewhere out in outer space. He ruled from earth. His throne was on earth. His throne with the heights of the clouds. This is why in the book of Revelation, he's trying his best to get the earth back. This is why you see the modern-day Tower of Babel being erected. He's trying to get his rulership back. This is why he says to Jesus, If you'll but bow down and worship, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. How could an angel promise that if he didn't have it? Because the kingdoms of the world were his. I'll give them all to you if you'll but bow down and worship me. And then he said like this, this is the craziest thing. He says, but the end result is I will be like the most high. I will ascend, I will exalt, I'll sit, I'll ascend, I'll be like the most high. This is what happened to this ruling angel, this governing angel. Next slide. Back to Genesis 1-2. See if you get a little more taste of where I'm trying to take you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, but according to Isaiah, it can't be. And darkness covered, but God is light. How could darkness cover? Darkness can cover because the angel Lucifer hovered over the creation of God and darkness began to cover the entirety of all the waters. Why the waters? Because God used the water to judge the ruling place of Lucifer. And Lucifer's world has been judged. And darkness came upon the earth. Some people believe, I don't know where I land, I'll let you study it, that that's where the Ice Age came in. That part of our past where we study of millions of years old, the Ice Age happened and there was darkness uh, some theologians believe that this is where the Ice Age was, that this land of Lucifer where he governed, but now that he covered it from light with his darkness, it froze, it became desolate. God judged it with water. We know that is true because he judged Noah. We also know why water baptism ticks the devil off because when darkness covered uh, the water, the spirits hovering over the water, and then all of a sudden God says, let there be light. That is a, this is a picture of water baptism. 
You were dead in your sins. I'm going to put you underwater to judge you. But my voice and my light will call you back up out of the water and the Spirit will ignite you and you will become a living, breathing vessel because of me. That's water baptism and why it's so important. It makes the devil remember his own judgment and that watch that he never came up out of the water. This is why in the New Testament when the pigs are judged, the demons and the pigs, where do they run? Why in God's name would they run in the water? Because they remember the moment they were tormented by God's flood to end their kingdom. And they're like, well, we'll just go self-judge ourselves and they go right back in the water. Which is where this is also why in the new heaven and new earth there is no more sea. Because God doesn't need it for judgment. Judgment has finished. Now here's day one. Maybe this will make more sense to you now than just a, oh yeah, day one's God make light. So then God said, and what I believe is happening is that there is a world of Lucifer that has been judged and annihilated and destroyed that is sitting idle and dark, having been judged with water. And God has a plan. And His plan is not to make another angel, Carmelo. It's to make His image. You will be far greater than any angel ever created. For you will be in my image and my likeness. And that's going to tick the devil off. For there's no one that could be higher than him. No one. Especially a measly, rotten, no good piece of dirt. Alright? So God said, he steps into the middle of that darkness and says, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that the light was good, and and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Even in the cycles of the sun that we call morning and evening, although there's no sun here, so go figure that out. How could there be a morning and evening if there's no sun and moon yet? But what God is teaching me is that, the watch now, the first thing God has to do to begin to resurrect his life is he has to deal with the seed of darkness in the life of his planet and his people. This is why what you you may wonder, why did we read John 1? Because what Ryan read was, and light came into the world, but the world would not receive the light because they love darkness more than they love the light. You see, John 1 is a reflection of Genesis 1 because even in John 1, we deal with darkness and light just like we do in Genesis 1. For the Word became flesh. He came to His own, but His own loved darkness. It's it's the truth of humans. We love darkness. Somebody say, no, I love light. I love sunshine. I'm not talking about dark, flip a light on sunshine bright. Here's the darkness I'm talking about. The nature of the Holy Spirit will always work to destroy a root of pride in you. Leading you away from selfish behavior and into God's fruitful purpose. If you ever wanted to know, the very first fruit that God wants out of you is the destruction of selfish pride. Pride was the thing that brought down the most beautiful creation ever. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And it shows up in God's people today. Oh, I love God, but I will. Oh, I love the Lord, but no, I am. 
And how many Christians today don't have a fruitful life because of pride? I can build my own life, my own kingdom, my own business, my own family, my own education. I can get smart enough. I can work hard enough. I can be brilliant enough. I can have enough knowledge. Me, 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 me. It's selfish behavior. And everybody in the room, God has given you on the news every blooming day. God gives you on the news channels the beauty of selfish behavior. As we burn down buildings, as we shoot people, as we murder people, as we abort babies, as we rape people and abuse people, and pedophilia and God goes do you understand the problem is not a Messiah coming back again I came one time I'm not coming to die for your sins the problem is selfish ingrained behavior that shows up in pride and the one thing God has to deal with first in you is death to yourself I said it in a very short way last week. But this is why death to self is so important. Because anytime self gets in the driver's seat, you are sitting in the seat of Lucifer. Anytime you, you let pride get in the driver's seat, me, 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 my life, my business, my work, me, what I've got to do. I'm just so busy. I just keep myself busy. I don't have enough time for God. Great. I'm glad you're doing all that. But know this, if you're not careful, a root of pride will destroy you. It will destroy it. It destroyed the greatest angel that ever lived. And we humans think we're any different in our pride, in our selfish behavior. And we wonder, where's the fruit? The fruit doesn't come to prideful people. There's something beautiful about humbling yourself. For when you humble yourself and call out to me, I will lift you up. For I will draw you unto me, and when you come unto me, come and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that I may lift you up in due season. There's something wonderful about looking up to the God of heaven and going, i got a clue what I'm doing down here. I mean, I really do have a clue. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, man. My life's good. I'm not talking about a clue. Are you a good businessman, a good businesswoman, a good mother? I'm not talking about that kind of clue. I'm talking about the clue that I do not want to do my life without you. I do not want to be in control of me. I want your wisdom and not my wisdom. This selfish behavior shows up. And really, whose wisdom do you live by? Who, I mean, you know, we, we made a joke. We Google more than we really trust the wisdom of God. So, that's 30 years. <laughs> that's 30 years of trying to make it as simple and practical for you as possible. That Genesis 1, God made the beauty of His creation to be governed by Lucifer to bring fruitful, obedient worship. Lucifer was iniquity. Lucifer fell. God judged the whole thing. God judged his pride. God created, brought it all up out of the water, which is, go, go read it. He brought everything up out of the water. Everything. He said, let the land come up out of the water. It's beautiful. So God creates it all, and then, mind-blowing, He didn't make an angel. He made a human in his image. And what did that do to the cherub? I hate you. And I'm going to destroy you in pride. Don't you think this fruit looks good? I know he told you to stay away from it. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Look at it. It looks really good, doesn't it? It tastes good too, probably. Why don't you trust your own wisdom and go against his wisdom and disobey him? Please do. You'll be just like him if you do. But Lucifer knew because he's a liar, you wouldn't be just like him. You'd be just like me. And if you're just like me, that proves I'm God. For now, you are in my image. Let's go live life together. Because that's what he wants. 
This is why salvation is important for you. This is why you must be born again because until you are born again, you're forever in Lucifer's camp. This is why Jesus said in John 8, you are your father the devil. There's not 20 fathers, there's two. Him and him. And you're, you're one of them's kid. And it's pride that keeps you here. I hope that helped you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, thank you for that. And now, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to help that, whatever that was. Help it. And let it sink into a heart. And let it take root in that heart. So let me simplify maybe that mental chaos for you. The first thing the Holy Spirit wants to destroy in your life and deal with is pride. And truly, if we're honest, how many of us are gifted at selfishness? We spend our money on ourselves. God blesses us with a job. And then rather than really moving His kingdom forward, we just get more debt, more stuff, more toys, more me, 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 me. He's trying to work on our life, but me gets offended. Me gets hurt. Me gets tired. Me gets worn out. So I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit kind of work with you right now. And, and if there's something in your life that's a selfish behavior, let's just deal with day one and God, my selfish behavior. It creeps up a lot. Can see your selfish behavior in the way you talk, see your selfish behavior in the way you spend money, see your selfish behavior in the way you treat your spouse, see your selfish behavior in the way your frustrations play out. Would you stand with me if you will? I'm gonna give you an opportunity to come and take communion. Cameron's just gonna lead you in a worship tune, the way we end service here. I pray that blessed you. But the goal is not to just be blessed by my message. The goal is to take what you heard, apply it, come to the communion table, partake of communion. And then if you want to, you can go back and sit down. Our elders are to my left and right. Robin and I will be here to pray with you as well. If you want people, Patty, if you want people to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. But this is the time now where you take what you heard, you apply it, you put it into application, you ask God what you need to do to deal with whatever it was you need to deal with. And then as Cameron leads you in worship, you can go back and be seated and pray. Uh, you can stay up here, you know, whatever you want to do. We just kind of make room for you to do that. I love you. I bless you. Hey, for those of you that call this place home, thank you for your giving. That's what the baskets are up here, the things in the back. Thank you for being givers. It blesses the house. It's an honor, and I appreciate it. I hope that helped you. Let me bless you. I want you to pray this prayer after me, and then you can come and take communion. Heavenly Father, pretty clear to me now, selfish behavior, death to self, it's what you're going for. And I've been really alive a lot lately. And I just repent. And I lay it at your feet. All of my selfish behavior, I put at your feet. And I say, I'm humbled before you so your self can be exalted. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I need you. Your salvation, your blood, your righteousness. Holy Spirit, I can't do life without you. Empower me now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. 
If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.